Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Today we're very kindly joined by a fund manager from MNG Investments. Maria Manuki is a fund manager at the a multi-asset sustainable fund at MNG. Maria, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me. So there's obviously a broad asset allocation within the fund, um, and we'll get more into that later. Um, but before we start, we'd just like to kind of get a bit of a view from you on the general um, state of the markets at the moment, where you're seeing opportunities. We've obviously seen a sharp rally uh, across the asset classes uh, on the back of the reopening due to uh, coronavirus and, and obviously the, restri- the lifting of restrictions there. So where's your sort of um, thinking going in terms of where we're going to be seeing value in, uh, in asset classes going forwards? Yeah, it's a, a very important uh, question and really something that we focus every day trying to understand what the future opportunities for investors can be from here. It has been uh, quite an exceptional 2020 so far um, from a macroeconomic perspective, but also from a financial perspective. So if you look at the macroeconomic picture, what we're observing today is after this complete halt we have seen in economic activity in the first quarter of the year, we're now starting to see um, some pickup in activity with the reopening taking place in in several um, areas around the world. Some of the indicators, especially more on the sentiment side, they start to look um, very encouraging. Um, uh, The housing sector in the US has given some some good uh, signs in this sense, but also some of the sentiment indicators. So the more short-term economic indicators are showing the type of um, reopening that we, we would in a way expect. And that has certainly been uh, captured by the market. As we've seen, there's been a very strong recovery in prices in some areas of the market in particular. Um, and that has you know, left investors asking themselves, what is next? Um, and I think to me, what's important is to evaluate, on the one hand, where are we in terms of valuations? I think some parts of the market we could define as being kind of neutrally priced in terms of valuations like PEs. But we obviously have to take into account then there's been a very strong downgrade of earnings for the next 12 months. So when we look at that PE, we need to think also what is our investment horizon in terms of um, the funds we run and the opportunity we want to capture. Because potentially that might give us a slightly different picture. The other um, observation that I think is very interesting today is that, um, yes, we've had a very strong rebound in many markets, but I wouldn't say that the investors' behavior today is particularly euphoric or positive. I think there is a lot of attention to uh, the new macroeconomic data coming out. There is a lot of um, worry about what the second half might look like, in particular what... um, you know, a new situation of flare-ups of, of the virus could lead to in terms of um, uh, new lockdowns, even if more um, 
limited in terms of the geographic area that they will interest. So overall, um, I believe uh, we can still find some opportunities in some areas of the market, particularly uh, if we look at the equity space uh, um, outside areas like the US, uh, we continue to see some uh, quite attractive valuations um, with earnings that um, could potentially improve, especially given that areas like, like Europe has been kind of reopening now for, for, for longer and has not seen significant signs of um, going back to, into, a, into a deep lockdown phase. And we also have to take, in, take into consideration the um, size and type of fiscal and monetary policies that have been put in place in the last few months, which are really unprecedented and that um, go above, over and above some of the tools that we have been used to in the past. And, and really the scale of it is extremely significant. And, and Europe in this, although being a little bit uh, slower is, is no exception in the sense that we are seeing some, some very strong intervention. Um, if we look uh, across to the fixed income space, I think throughout this period there has been an opening of opportunities in the corporate bond space that we did take advantage of. Today, I think more of the opportunities probably reside in the emerging market government bond area where we're still seeing a relatively high level of yields compared to major uh, government bond market in the developed world. Um, in a situation of low interest rates really worldwide, and most importantly, uh, a lack of inflation pressures, which should um, enable those areas to also maintain um, uh, low interest rates over the medium term. So certainly we have had a very important reversal of the initial uh, episodic behavior we've observed in March, but I still believe that there are some opportunity over the medium term to be to be taken. So th those opportunities, uh, Maria, when, when you're looking at selections now, because obviously with the M&G Sustainable Multi-Asset Fund, you have a certain level of screening that you have to go through when selecting certain assets. How has that changed going through COVID and how will that change going past and how does that alter the opportunity set for the fund? Yes, so the way the fund is structured is that we do have a core holding in um, assets that we define as a positive impact. So basically where we have a dual objective in terms of positive financial performance, but also having a clear impact um, on environment and society towards achieving the UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals. And then there is a, a wider portion of the portfolio, uh, which can go up to 70%, which is what we define our best uh, in-class ESG, where basically we are um, using a combination of, of screening, but also boosting this um, with, with our own analysis. And um, I think what changed in terms of the opportunity set has been that we, thanks to the sharp price movements that we've observed in March, we have been able to capture, if you want, um, positions in assets that are high quality and where we have, uh, in our view, um, a good level of impact um, at very attractive valuations. And um, this has been the case, for example, in, in really you know, close to the heat of the moment. Like, so I'm talking about March, April, 
of companies like Solar Edge that have had tremendous um, uh, weakness throughout that period because really the markets uh, approach uh, the March uh, phase in, into two different parts. So the first two weeks was very much a risk-off environment, uh, waking up to the risks of this new emergency. And then the second half was much more of a liquidity crunch type of situation where really assets just left the market. And in these deep phases, really, all type of assets have been, have been sold down uh, or sold off, um, irrespectively of their quality. So that gave us the, the opportunity to um, be um, taking advantage of some of those moves and, and add to those names that, that we think are very good quality. Um, what we've seen uh, a little bit after that has also been an increase in the level of um, emission in uh, corporate bond space, but also um, um, bonds in general, so also issued by development banks. And again, this has been an opportunity for us to, um, to add to some of those uh, um, areas. For example, the Inter-American Development Bank issued um, a set of uh, pandemic bonds, which were basically aimed to finance the COVID-19 response in uh, Latin America, in particular creating safety nets uh, at a social level, uh, but also fighting the, the, the health emergency um, and so this has been uh, added to the portfolio. And then more recently, we've seen companies like Xilem in the US, which uh, operates um, water treatments and sanitation that has issued the green bond. And again, opportunity to, to add to the, to the breadth of the portfolio on the, on the impact uh, side, which um, can go up to 30% of the overall portfolio and is now around 25%. Um, so it did change the opportunity set um, and, and we have been able to take advantage of some of those. A lot of those names now have recovered uh, to their February uh, levels and sometimes a little bit above that as well. Okay, so um, now taking a view from the bigger picture, obviously going into um, COVID, the sustainable investment uh, sector is very much dominated by uh, emissions and carbon emissions. Uh, we went into COVID and we saw dramatic uh, drops in the, the levels of, of pollution. Sort of going out the other side and, and, and the, the sort of larger macro themes in sustainable investment, do you think that focus will still remain on uh, the environment or do you think we're starting to look uh, maybe at the sort of health issues within sustainable uh, investment and more social issues going forward? I think what the crisis really highlighted is how those issues are interconnected. And so we cannot think about solving the climate emergency by forgetting the issues we have on the social side. Those issues really go hand to hand and we have to think about the entire range of social and environmental challenges and opportunities we have ahead of us to transform our society and become more sustainable. So to me, the COVID-19 crisis uh, highlighted uh, in a way some of the weaknesses of our um, social uh, infrastructure, of the healthcare systems. The fact that I think for a long time, some of those areas have been underinvested and, and maybe underrepresented on some of, this, um, of the key um, uh, structural needs of, of a society. 
And, and this has been seen on an increased attention of, to this area, uh, both from corporates, which have really been quite keen in many cases to highlight how they've been taking care of their employee, how they um, improved their approach to health and safety throughout this very difficult phase. Um, but also we've seen it with the increasing issuance of uh, bonds that are dedicated to social and sustainability issues, which interestingly were very much a focus in, in the months just after um, Q1, so the beginning of Q2, and, and uh, so quite a bit of, of, of issuance on this side. Um, I think the focus on the environment has not been forgotten. Um, as you mentioned, you know, there's been a lot of, um, emphasis on uh, you know some of the potential benefits from emission that uh, the lockdown has brought. Um, I think if we look at the bigger picture, uh, we have to be careful about that in the sense that um, in, in moving towards a cleaner and lower emission world needs uh, investment from corporates and governments, and uh, economic growth is very much linked to it. Um, on a positive note, though, I think that a lot of the um, monetary uh, stimulus that is going to come, especially in some areas, will potentially be linked to improving the environmental uh, profile of countries and corporates alike. And, and we're seeing this very clearly in, in the trajectory that the, the European Union is putting forward, which is very encouraging under that respect. So. To me, uh, from, from a macro perspective, uh, two things are, are very, very key going forward. Recognizing that those themes are very much interlinked. And when we think about the health of the environment, we're also thinking about the health of societies. And so the social environmental issues must be addressed together. Um, but also that to be able to address this, we do not need to sacrifice growth. And if anything, I think the level of innovation, the level of technological advancement that we have experienced in the last decade should really allow um, growth, uh, economic growth to go hand in hand with, with sustainability going forward. Okay, so just wanna move on now to a particular sector which was ravaged by the um, coronavirus crisis uh, and that's looking at the oil and gas sector which is a sector that's had uh, a lot of pressure from the asset manager uh, sector in the last year or so uh, obviously BlackRock setting out that they're not going to be investing in, in coal um, going forward now managing sustainable funds those companies have been you know quite vocal in, in setting up targets and such like do you see them moving quick enough for you to start looking at those sorts of companies or is there still sort of quite a lot of work for them to do uh, to, to get to a stage where they would then be able to be classed as sustainable? Mm. So I think absolutely we're starting to see some good improvements and good uh, direction from some of those companies. But uh, the state where we are now, um, at the moment, we're still not involved with oil and gas as part of the Sustainable Multi-Asset Fund. Um, also because we prefer to have uh, a focus towards uh, companies that are more um, 
targeting renewable energy uh, as a whole. So we would invest in, in companies like um, Green Cut UK, Octopus Renewables. So companies that really have the majority of the revenues derived by renewable energy, being wind, being solar. Um, we are observing what's happening in the oil and gas, as I mentioned, it's, it's interesting. Um, but for the requirements of this fund in particular, it's still not well developed enough to be able um, for us to invest in some of those. But I think going forward, we will see uh, more and more advancement in this space. Another aspect that I think is very interesting to observe today is that uh, in the past, there's always been a threat for renewable energy um, by the oil price. So the sensitivity to renewable energy uh, stocks to the, to the oil price has been quite significant in the past because, of course, as oil price was falling, then some of those alternative energies would have been relatively more expensive and less attractive. Um, however, interestingly, we didn't see this happening as much this time. And the reason is that the actual cost of renewable energy overall in the last decades has come down very significantly and now making it quite competitive, even at level of oil price, which are uh, much lower than, 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 they than they would have been before. So I think this is another very important aspect that kind of goes back to my previous point that the advancements we had in technology, in, in renewables and other areas really make this sustainability effort um, an interesting one for corporates and for investors alike, given the potential returns that you could get um, from, from some of those exposures. Okay, so you, you've mentioned uh, a couple of holdings there, but for investors that are looking potentially at the fund and want a better idea of the composition, if we can drill down into some of the the fund's holdings, what, what are the sort of standout ones there uh, for you in, in the portfolio? Yes, yeah, so the fund, uh, um, the way we build the portfolios is really uh, keeping in mind what type of shape we want the portfolio to have from an asset allocation perspective. So our top-down views of how much exposure do we want in equities? Which regions do we want to target? Which sectors do we want? Versus how much fixed income do we want in the portfolio? How much government bonds versus corporates is the key driver of, of medium and long-term returns? And what drives basically the, the top-down approach? Then when we implement those views, this is where we really put all the work on the best-in-class ESG approach and the positive impact approach of the portfolio, uh, aiming to um, create a portfolio that has some very good credentials on both uh, the impact portion, which as I mentioned is, is today up to, um, can get up to 30%, and the best-in-class ESG, which is the remainder of the portfolio. So to give a few ideas, I think if we think about um, the best-in-class ESG uh, names in the portfolio, I think one that um, stands out in terms of um, characteristics and that we've done quite a lot of work on in terms of also understanding their uh, approach to, to climate is uh, Danone, which is perceived as being one of the most sustainable names uh, within uh, consumer goods. Um, and uh, we have... Um, 
uh, engaged with them to understand, uh, you know, exactly what is their uh, pattern in terms of tackling some of the biggest challenges, you know, related to that sector from um, sustainability of, of the products that they use to uh, controlling the supply chain in terms of social and environmental issues to setting credible um, objectives uh, in terms of climate and, and carbon reduction. And interestingly, Danone is one of the companies that have adhered to the uh, science-based targets initiatives, where basically they've set clear targets to um, focus towards having uh, no more than 1.5 degrees in increase in, in temperature. And uh, this is very interesting because it starts giving us some clear uh, direction of what the company can do to achieve that and how they're thinking about um, getting this type of, of outcome and, and also for us as investors to be able to, to monitor that. If we go into the more, I would say, impact side of the portfolio, I think some names that are um, interesting to me could be um, Bright Horizon, which basically operates childcare centers um, over the US and, and Europe. And I think uh, what we try to look for companies that we uh, um, classify as being impact is for three things, is the uh, quality of the investment, the intentionality, so uh, doing, uh, making an impact with intention and also the measurability of this impact. And in the case of Bright Horizon, the investment per se is, is very uh, solid, uh, it's very strong in terms of cash flows, it's very well managed. The intention is clearly to nurture families and support them uh, throughout um, their lives. And then uh, in terms of impact, we have a very, very broad reach in terms of number of families and support that is provided. So very interesting uh, way to get exposure through a listed uh, company to an area that is not always um, uh, easy to, to, to get access to, which is in this case, um, uh, supporting uh, families. Um, I think there's also been quite a lot of development on, on the green space, uh, the green bond space, as I mentioned earlier. We've seen a significant increase in the last few years in issuance here, and in particular issuance from new um, uh, corporates, but also new governments. Uh, last year, for example, a government that issued the new green bond has been Chile, and basically the beauty of a green bond is that we get to see what those proceeds are used for and there is a clear framework that uh, is used to address uh, those proceeds towards environmental um, uh, issues and improvements and that gives us the comfort we need to to make sure that those proceeds are actually used in an impactful way so to me what is very interesting today is when we look at investor investments through the lens of positive impact we can really find opportunity across a spectrum of asset classes. So going from uh, listed equities to infrastructure, to um, government that issues uh, green bonds, but also corporates that issue uh, green bonds, all the way to development bank that issued um, sustainability bond or pandemic bonds, as we've seen the Inter-American Development Bank doing more recently and together with other banks. So we really have a different uh, palette of colors, if you want, to be able to build um, this part of the portfolio and and giving life to to an investment instrument that 
has this dual objective of, of a positive performance and at the same time having a, a clear impact. Okay, so that, uh, that wraps up the, the fun quite nicely. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Maria. I do just want to move on to finish off one subject which is particularly pressing in the industry. Now, of course, we've seen uh, I mean, ESG and impact investing to some extent become quite fashionable over the last 12 months. There's been a big increase in the number of funds. Uh, you know, a lot of companies are, are promoting their ESG credentials um, to, to obviously become attractive to the industry. But that has created an environment where there, there's some issues with greenwashing. So that's obviously uh, a situation where, where companies are portraying themselves or funds portraying themselves to be uh, sustainable. But really, if you drill down into it and have a look at the underlying assets, they're not as green as one, uh, as one may uh, think by looking at the, uh, the name or the mandates of the, of the particular assets. How is the industry dealing with this and, and what do you see as, as the best ways to, to tackle this going forwards? Yes, so I absolutely agree. We've seen an enormous increase on, on um, interest, of interest in, in this area. I think when I started thinking about these products now more than four years ago, I, I, I've always been very passionate about how you can um, put together good financial returns with sustainability, but I personally did not expect to move so fast, which is a very, very positive uh, outcome, really. Um, but of course, as you say, it also creates some confusion uh, for investors that are trying to navigate this, this, this difficult uh, new world of, of sustainability, which also comes with a lot of terminology. I think in a positive way, what I can see is that the understanding of, of clients and investors of what do we mean by sustainability, what is ESG, what is sustainable, what is impact, has improved over time. And I think that the educational bit, if we want, will continue to play a very, very important role. It's like you're starting to, to kind of learn a new language. At the beginning, the words don't make much sense, and then you start putting them together, and it becomes a lot more easy to communicate on the same, on the same, um, along the same lines. So... Education definitely plays a very important role, and this is something that us um, we should be, you know, very forefront with, um, and 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 enable uh, people that invest in with us to 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 uh, be able to to understand what we mean when we talk about uh, sustainable investment. Um, the second aspect, which to me is crucial, is transparency. So making sure that. Uh, the process behind the fund and the way we invest sustainably is clear and well-defined and that um, although sometimes it might be slightly complicated but is clearly adhering to what the fund manager actually does so for example in our case we really try and be very transparent that this fund is not a pure impact fund we have up to 30 percent of our assets that we can to be positive impact but then we use best-in-class CSG assets to be able to um, move the portfolio tactically uh, when we see opportunities from a top-down uh, perspective so being very clear about what the funds and, and the different products are trying to achieve in terms of sustainability is very important 
And I think also in terms of transparency today, you have more and more third parties that are doing an excellent job at um, giving some clarity in terms of how funds uh, compare between each other in terms of ESG characteristics, in terms of uh, carbon emission characteristics. And more and more of this data is today available to investors, which I think will be uh, very helpful going forward in, in making some clarity and some uh, distinguish um, between the different products. And finally, the third aspect to me is regulation. Um, as we know, the EU taxonomy is now becoming um, proper law and uh, the, the regulatory part will soon be a key aspect of the UK financial markets as well. And again, um, this will create more standards across the industries. It will create uh, clear frameworks for um, investors to understand where the different products sit. Um, so to me, education, transparency and regulation are really the three ways in which um, the, the financial industry uh, will evolve in the next few years. And I think this will bring um, a lot more, more clarity for investors to be able to, to navigate sustainable investments. That's fantastic, Maria. Thank you very much for that, uh, that rundown. Thank so, you. Um, just as a note, we'll, we'll include um, some further details uh, about the MG Sustainable Multi-Asset Fund in the podcast notes. So um, mm -hmm. do those out. Um, we'll probably put a link through to uh, the website there so you can find out some further information. So once again, Maria, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you now. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.